your visitor. We just are glad that you're here and uh, glad that you're in church this morning. I'm glad that we have an opportunity and the freedom in this country to come together and to worship the Lord and to learn from Him, to dive into His Word. Uh, I, we've been kind of two weeks out now. We've been, um, the week before last, we had the church camp out. And, um, and last week, if you were here, uh, you got to see something really, and hear something really special as Blake and Sammy Donnelly shared uh, kind of the update of what's going on in their ministry with for, uh, Free Burma Rangers. Um, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't here, you can definitely jump online. You can listen to any of our messages, really, um, on our website. And uh, I'll say this, uh, when uh, Blake grabs a microphone, it's a doozy. I'll just use that word. It's good. And I really appreciate Blake and um, definitely want to be continuing to pray for them. Um, they serve in a particular ministry in uh, Southeast Asia that is uh, intentionally dangerous, not intentional on their side. Uh, but their whole ministry, if you weren't here last week, their whole ministry of the Free Burma Rangers is to go where the, bu- the, the bullets are flying and the bombs are exploding and rescue people, to bring the gospel to people that are in the midst of chaos and crisis uh, in war zones, not just there, but also in the Middle East. And so um, it's not a vacation. If you saw the videos last week, uh, it's not a vacation. You can look it up. You can look up the videos. They were all, everything we watched was on YouTube, so you can look it up and see for yourselves. Uh, yeah, they're not in, uh, they're not kicked back on a beach somewhere, you know. This is a break, actually, being home and sharing with people. Uh, this is a break for them. The rest of the time, it's uh, business. But um, we're going to kind of wrap up, although I was encouraged to maybe t- take this sermon and and put a part two to it for next week. We'll see what the Lord says. I'll pray about it. But uh, we've been going through this uh, series on that's wrapped around this question. And that is, is, as Christ followers, how do we thrive in a decaying culture? Like that's the, that's the kind of the question, if we wanted to put a question on the table, that's the question we've been looking at for quite a few weeks. Um, there's no doubt that our culture has been indefinitely a spiritual decline Um, Every statistic out there proves that that is true. Uh, We have more people that um, classify or categorize themselves as nuns. I'm not saying N-U-N. I'm saying N-O-N-E. When it comes to religious affiliation, there's more people now than ever that are checking the box, none. That's an indication of spiritual decline. That's just one of them. But all the stats that are out there, we've looked at stats through this series, stats on fatherlessness and, and the different uh, issues that face our, our society today. There's no doubt that our culture has been in decline. And uh, how, do we, how do we process that? How do we find inspiration from God's Word? What are God's examples for you and I on how to live? Uh, who's in the Bible, like if we just like go through and look, and this is kind of what we've done most of the summer, we've had these different character, looks at different characters in the Bible, different men that God uh, led through difficult times, and he led them, while their cultures were in decay, he led them in a way uh, uh, that was really special, really uh, exciting to watch. We looked at Noah, we've looked at Joseph, uh, King Josiah, Daniel, Nehemiah, we looked at John the Baptist three weeks ago. We looked at Jesus himself. All are examples in their own way, in their own time, and in their own culture that demonstrate, they demonstrate this point, that God is faithful, and God will provide. In the moment, in the time, whatever's needed, God will provide those things. And these guys have those things in common. They remind me really also, you could say there's a verse that popped up in my mind this week, they remind me of the character description that Paul wrote about when he was writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses, I'll read 14 through 16 to put it in a little context, but notice this character description that Paul writes about, verse 14, now parents, this is our favorite verse right here, it's real quick, it says, do all things without complaining or disputing, right, like, parents, that's like the, ver- that's our go-to, right, when the kids are like, oh, do I have, hey, what does the Bible say, kids, do all things without complaining or disputing. Look it up, Philippians 4, uh, uh, 2.14. But we stop there. 
We stop there. That's not, all the, that's not all this passage has to say. And Paul says this in verse 15. So he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And look at this character description that he writes. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Look at that character description he's writing about. In a lot of ways, you could take verse 15 and you could kind of overlay it and say, yeah, that was Noah's story, right? That was Noah's story. He was a light in a difficult time. He was a beacon of hope in a difficult day and in a difficult generation. And that was Joseph's story when he says, you know, it, when, when he's reunited with his brothers and, and, and it all looks bad and they're just sitting there racked with guilt. And he says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, brothers, because what you did for evil, God used for good. That was a crooked and perverse generation that would sell your own, his own brother, sell him, his own brother sold him into slavery. It definitely could be said about Daniel and Nehemiah. Definitely could be said about John the Baptist, a man who God raised up, specific uh, plan and purpose for his life to be the torchbearer for Christ. These were all people that were blameless and harmless. They were children of God. They were without fault in the midst of their own specific perverse generations. Another thing that they had in common, though, and what we're really going to study in on today as we answer this question, how do we thrive in a decaying culture? The thing that all of these people had in common, and dozens more as we we go through uh, the pages of the Word of God, is they all worshipped. They were worshippers. They worshipped God, intentionally worshipped. And we all uh, are called to worship God. We all live on this uh, continuum, if you will, between, on one hand, gratitude, and on the other hand, entitlement. Like if you just put this, you know, this straight line up, an arrow to each word, over here you have gratitude, over here you have entitlement, and we, and we all exist somewhere in that line, right? And, and, and let's be honest, there's a lot of forces in our world, uh, our own flesh, the enemy of your soul, Satan, our society, definitely, they all want to drag us to this side. Not you guys' the side of the auditorium, but the side of entitlement, right? That we all feel somehow entitled in some way. And sometimes that's not very much, and sometimes it's enormous. Entitlement, what I want, what I need, what I deserve, what is mine. The world continues to push us, the enemy continues to push us into that category and you know what the extreme of entitlement is thievery we talk about it today it's odd that we sang that song i don't think jonathan purposely chose that song the enemy can't what what's the words of that song take what i have right we're praying for this guy like josh and i've been you know kind of scheming and dreaming how can we get in and talk to this guy Because the one thing that he needed off of this property was not the sound equipment. He needed the Word of God, amen? Like he needs some hope. Because if you feel so entitled, and entitlement's kind of a funny thing if I just camp on that word for a second. There's the people at the top end of society that think they're entitled because of their wealth, because of their, their influence, because of their power. So they can just get away with anything. Think of Bertie Madoff, right? Think of that type of entitlement people on the top but there's also entitlement down at the bottom and it's all the way through really there's people on the bottom that that that, uh, of society that think that they're entitled because they don't have what other people have right this guy needs and what we're hoping to get a chance to talk to him and now as david mentioned um all of our stuff has been returned complete miracle we got the message the same day uh, the only thing really left, I suppose, kind of outstanding in the whole thing is the damage that he did to the building. Um, but we're hoping for an opportunity to share with him because he didn't get what he really needed. <laughs> and if you're going to come to our house, you're going to get, right? You're going to get what you really need. 
right? You need the word. This guy needs the word. He's homeless. He's living in his car, right? He's down and out. He needs some hope. He needs some encouragement. Does he need to be drawn up short for his crimes? Absolutely. We're not trying to mitigate the consequences of somebody's uh, crimes. Uh, he'll have to pay. The word says that, you know, that what we reap, we sow. So he'll have to walk through that, but it doesn't mean that he has to walk through it without some hope and without some encouragement. So that's all I want to say about that. But. In contrast to the entitlement component here is the gratitude, and the scriptures always, scriptures always push us to a place of gratitude. Scriptures always lead us. They always encourage us. They always, they always point us to, are you thankful? Am I thankful? Am I, am, am I uh, joyful for what's going on in each situation? We have uh, experienced this summer has been tremendous. Uh, I'll call it the summer of worship. We've done two worship events now at the Chewila City Park. This coming Saturday is our last worship apart. Uh, event in the park, and it's coupled with a fun day in the park, so we'll kind of wrap the whole thing up uh, with worship. But this is the summer of worship, and the essence of gratitude is worship, right? The essence of gratitude is worship. If, if you're grateful, you're going to worship. If you're, if you're thankful, you're going to be uh, Praising the Lord. The definition there of worship is simply this. It's to, to ascribe worth to. To ascribe worth to. We put, we put high value on things that we worship. We ascribe worth. And we all do this with no exceptions. Every human through history has done this in some form or fashion. And we're created to worship. I just want to put that. We're created to worship. Now you, now you might think, uh, you might be thinking, as I'm thinking right now, you know, well, you know, what about my neighbor, like, you know, he doesn't care about God, like all he cares about is a ski boat, you know, and he spent his whole, you know, mortgaged the house to buy a ski boat, so that, you know, six times out of the year they can use this thing, right? What about him? Uh, oh, he's worshiping all right. He's worshiping. He's worshiping that ski boat, Right? That's got his focus. That's got his attention. That's got, that's got, I mean, he's just doting. He's out there, and you see him out the window, you know, and he's out there you know, drinking a Pepsi and rubbing that thing down. Oh, he's worshiping art. We're created to worship. We're creative worshipers. You know, kind of a sub-question on the table is, is then, then what or who are you worshiping? That's really the, the question that we have to ask ourselves. Like, what, what am I worshiping here? Am I worshiping my stuff? Am I worshiping somebody else's stuff? Let's dive in and take a look at worship in light of this question. And I won't get to our main question, how to thrive in a decaying culture, until the end. But I think that as we bolt this thing together, you guys will uh, start to see it come into shape. Let's turn to Psalm 98, if you will. Haley will have it up on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to bring a Bible. Bring your cell phone. Don't read Twitter. Uh, turn on your version app and follow along. Psalm 98, a song of praise to the Lord for His salvation and judgment. Psalm 98 starts out, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. We're commanded, get this, we're commanded to sing. I know that makes people feel uncomfortable. I'm going to share a story of my own uncomfortability, right? But we're commanded to sing. God's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. He likes the availability of his worshipers. And if we're hung up on how we sound, we'll always be stuck on abilities. Do we get that? If, if, if we're concerned about, and, and, I have, and, and there's a solution in Psalm 98, uh, if you struggle to sing or carry a tune, I get it. Um, but if we're hung up on how we sound, we'll always be stuck on our own abilities and we'll, we'll struggle to worship. We'll, we'll struggle to follow out this command. Just, just sing it out. God's an audience of one. The most freeing thing that I ever heard uh, when I started leading worship 
was is that, you know what? You're not here for everybody else's benefit. You're here for an audience of one. And, 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 and Mavis Bo just said, just picture Jesus sitting in the front row. It's like, well, if Jesus was in the front row, Mavis, I'd be like flat on the floor, right? She goes, you know what I mean. She says, we're not here to worship so that everybody else, you know, feels like they're at a concert. We're here to worship Christ. We're here to lift him up. We're here to give him glory and honor. We're to, and she, she really used that, that definition of worship. We're here to ascribe him worth. So we worship and we sing out. Psalm 23 says that God is holy and, and enthroned in the praises of his people. God loves it when his people sing out. They, he loves it when people give him worship. That's where he resides is inside of worship. And we're to sing a, a new song. The first, first part of that is emphasizing the sing part, but the second part is to sing out a new song, Psalm 98 says. This concept really is all through the Bible. It's not the only place it's mentioned. I'll go through. I just threw out a list of it. In Psalm 33, Psalm 40, obviously 98 that we just read, Psalm 144, 149, Isaiah, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, Revelation of verses four, uh, chapter 14, verses 3, all talk about singing a new song. And here's what, it, here's what the psalm writer's getting at, is a new song. It's not just about like grabbing every new song that's out there, and so that when we show up, uh, you know, we're feeling good about the latest and greatest, and you guys are feeling awkward in the audience because you don't know the song. Now, I get it. I've been in those situations. It's like, what's the response? What's, what's the take there? Enjoy it. Because here's what a new song represents. It's a fresh expression. It's a fresh expression of praise and adoration. That's what a new song represents. It's a fresh expression of praise and adoration, Right? That's how we should look at it. That's, that's what they're getting at. Worship is a response to God and to what He's done. Uh, so why sing? I keep using the phrases worship and singing interchangeably. But I think it's fair to stay to the text here when the psalmist says, sing out to the Lord a new song. So why should we sing? I have a few reasons down here why I think it's important that we sing. Uh, and, I, and I know that I'm, I'm diving right into the, probably the most uncomfortable area of church experience. But that's okay. Hang with me. I think you'll get it. Uh, number one, the number one reason why, or the first thing I thought of, uh, singing reflects the reality that we were originally created to live in rhythm with God. That's why we sing. Everything about our life has rhythm, if you stop and think about it. Right? Everything about our life has a rhythm, a beat, a cadence to it. Uh, we have a heartbeat. We, we live in a particular area of the world where there's four seasons, so there's a rhythm to our, our annual events, you know. And, and this time of the year, it's hot and dry and dusty. And guess what? In another about a month and a half, two months, it's, you know, it's going to start chilling off. We're going to start getting some frost. We're going to start thinking about, you know, uh, hot chocolate and pumpkin spice lattes and firewood and making sure the house is all buttoned up, making sure everything's ready for winter. I'm not a pumpkin spice latte. Uh, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it anymore. Pumpkin spice latte? <laughs> Terrible. Don't buy me one. Right? I'll just, have, I'll just have you drink it. I like my pumpkin in a pie. But life has a rhythm to it. We have the seasons... Uh, we have our daily, you know, our weekly and, and daily routines. We, we live as people with rhythm to our lives. We were created that way. Creation itself is built w- with some rhythm, right? Number two, number two reason why we sing is because singing reflects the reality that worship is more than just mental consent to religious claims. We, we could come and just, you know, real like, you know, dry toast, proclaim God's truth. I could read, you know, Psalm 98 or any of the other psalms or, or benedictions in the Word of God, and I could read them just like real matter-of-fact, dry, you know, no emotion, no nothing. That's not the reality of how we're created. We're not created that way. 
right? It's not dry and it's not stoic. Singing includes emotions. Singing includes feelings. If you think I'm getting soft, it, I have one more for you. Singing includes a transparency that, that doesn't happen any other way. A transparency between you and God, between me and God. It only happens, in a sense, when we're worshiping God and singing out to Him. Right Now, if you think I'm getting a little effeminate up here, it also includes truth. You can't, you can't, you can sing songs that aren't truthful, and there's a little something about it. But we're called to sing out, we're called to worship, and we're going to get to these verses a little later on. We're called to worship, we're commanded to worship with truth involved. And so what we're singing, it matters whether it's truthful. It matters whether it lines up with the word of God. And the last thing about singing is, is that it includes these proclamations of faith. You know, that, that, that only God can do this. Only God can do the things that, that we can't do. Those types of proclamations. The wonders of who God is. The majesty of who God is. Those are proclamations that build faith in people's lives. Singing, I like this idea because I think this is true. Singing really is a language of the heart. It's a language of the heart. That it's an opportunity to express to God in a way that, that is not comparable really with anything else. The last one is, is, that, sing, is that worship or singing is evangelistic. Uh, what are you talking about? If you think about this idea, if you're sitting in the audience, if I was sitting in the front row, and the guy or the lady sitting next to me was not a believer. They just show, showed up one day, and uh, here they are, you know, and I'm engaged in worship during the worship time here in the service. Uh, they may leave still a non-believer. They may say, you know what, this is all baloney. But what they can't deny is, they can't deny that I believe that it's true. And there's a connection there. There's, there's something there that happens in the course of a, of a worship service, in the course of a church service, that, that is undeniable. Even if in the moment that they take out of here, they say, ah, they're still impacted. There's still something that God does. There's still a call and a draw of the Holy Spirit that's there. You know, if you're singing out these truths, look at the rest of verse 1. For He has done marvelous things. Look at the character and nature of God in this psalm. For he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him victory. If you're singing out that kind of stuff, if you're proclaiming the Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations, and he has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of of our God. If you're proclaiming the word of God as you're worshiping, that other person might go away a non-believer, but they're going to go away convinced that you believe what you're singing and what you're saying. That's why it's important. That's why it's even uh, evangelistic. Uh, is there a verse for this idea? Absolutely. Uh, Paul wrote about the effect that believers have on non-believers in the course of a worship service. Flip real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, Paul says this, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, so we're coming into the worship service, and he's convinced by all, and he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, here's the key, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I'm throwing in personally the caveat. Maybe he walks out a non-believer, maybe he doesn't. Now Paul's saying, hey, he's going to be changed no matter what. Right? He's going to be changed no matter what. And he's going to report back. These guys really believe what they're saying. Like these guys are all in for Christ. And Paul's tapping into here a reality that God's work in a person's life is undeniable. That's the point of it. That's the point of, 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 of coming and expressing your thanks and your gratitude to God in worship and singing out. Paul's tapping into this idea that, 
that God's work in a person is undeniable. It's one of the reasons why we sing. I'll pause here for just a second and tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, we were going to church years, years ago up in Summit Valley, and um, <clears throat> we had done kind of an extensive remodel and changed the, changed the uh, auditorium up there and, and uh, in the back where all the worship equipment is or all the sound system. And I was the sound guy. I was the sound guy. That, like, that was my role. And I was really, really comfortable just being the sound guy. I loved it. Kind of back, you're out of sight. There's lots of, you know, for those of us that kind of geek out over sound stuff, there's lots of buttons and knobs and stuff to push and turn. See if you can always make it a little bit better. And uh, same person, Mavis Bow. Uh, Mavis, if you don't know Mavis, uh, Mavis and Don Bow are the people that started this church. And, and they started it in the Addy Grange, and then uh, as the church grew, they acquired this property, and they built this building, and uh, ministered here for several decades. But Mavis says, uh, hey Mark, she says, uh, how about you come out of your cave back there and help us lead worship? I was like, you gotta be kidding me. No way. I ain't going up there for nothing. I was real happy I was real happy being back behind the controls, out of sight. Well, you're out of sight, but you're not always out of mind because the, the key role, and I don't want to embarrass Haley back there, but if, if you do your job right, nobody knows you're there because you guys are all looking at me. But if the job in the back, and Michaela had these struggles last week, so she knows how bad it could be, but, it, but if something goes haywire in the back, everybody knows you're there, right? It's like, hey, who's running the show? Right? And so I was willing to take that risk in the back, but no way you were going to get me up on the stage to sing or anything else. And then a little um, secret leaked out that I'd kept in a tight box is that I knew how to play the drums. And so, and you're probably questioning <coughs> that as I do often also. Bill gives me a hard time because my drumsticks have a tendency to fly out of my hands at times. It's a good thing you're not holding the baby. But um, anyway, I, uh, she eventually conned me into coming up and, and leading worship and singing out, and she was a great mentor in that arena. And uh, her, her drive and her premise was to spread out the load. And it was to, she, and she told me this many times, she says, Mark, she says, we need guys that lead. And she says, you're a leader, so be a leader. But even leaders have to step out in faith. So you might feel like that, like, oh, no, you know, not me. You might feel that way about whatever area of ministry, about whatever God is kind of tapping you on the shoulder, kind of, you know, needling into your heart a little bit and saying, hey, step it up, bro. Right? Step it up, sister. I know what that's like. I've experienced that now over the decades in a multitude of different ways. And so she eventually got me up there. There is a sense of a little bit of comfortability that goes with it, I suppose. Um, but I'm forever grateful because she was one of those people that helped get me out of my own bubble, my own shell, and, uh, and helped propel some ministry there. And I'm hoping in some way that there's some encouragement for you guys in that as well, even based upon my own story. But if singing is still a challenge, maybe this will work for you. Look back at Psalm 98. Because we have another command in Psalm 98 that uh, is just as awkward. Like, so we're hitting all the awkward parts about worship. So we'll just get them out of the way. Then next week, everybody will feel real comfortable. You just come in here and uh, yell and scream and have a great time. Right? Look at verse 4. Look at our next command. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Right? Break forth in song, rejoice, and sing praises. Notice all the excitement. My favorite part, one of my favorite parts about Sunday mornings, you guys know what it is? It's like right before the service is supposed to start at, always, it's supposed to start at 10. It doesn't start at 10. No, it should start at 10 because we should start praying at quarter to 10. 
But seldom do we get in there at quarter to ten into my office to pray. And so we usually get in there about ten or a little after. And, but you know what my favorite part is? Is this room is just buzzing with conversation. I mean, it sounds like a beehive on steroids out here from in there. I love that. I love that part, right? All the excitement that goes with it. For too long, I think, when it comes to worship, when it comes to singing, Christians have stood around, and I've, I've been guilty of this, so I, I, can, I can relate. I'm not preaching just at you. I'm preaching at me because my tendency is sometimes to stand around with my hands in my pockets and with a dour look on my face, you know, like I was weaned on a pickle, you know, not engage. Right? You guys get it? You know what I'm saying? Like, weaned on a pickle. I'm like one of those category guys that could probably be weaned on a pickle because I love pickles. But for some people, they're just too sour. And the expression never leaves their face. Like, we have so much to be grateful for. We have so You're taking a breath right as I'm speaking. You should be grateful for that. Right? Like, we live, in an, we, live, we live in a time and a space and in a country that, like, no place in human history. We should be grateful for that. Like, we have so much that we should be raising our voices. And let's face it, let's call it out, the elephant in the room. Like, it makes us nervous if somebody's shouting. Why? Because a lot of the shouting in our, li- in our life experience has been really bad. It's been shout- the type of shouting that shouldn't happen. Right? But I'll guarantee you, when your team makes it into the playoffs, when your team, you know, wins the divisional playoff game, (laughs) we have videotape. That's another story. I can't say it probably without getting a little emotional, but I won't even say it. I got to tell you now. What game was it? We were, uh, my sister was videotaping my mom at the last uh, Gonzaga game. The footage is spectacular. It's like YouTube worthy because she just went, I mean, you know, wild, wild. They say old people aren't supposed to get excited. I think mom was willing to take a risk. It was either like, cheer for Gonzaga, take me home to glory. It don't much matter, right? They won. Away we go. But my sister's sitting over on the side taking this private video of her. And uh, we got quite a laugh as a family. The chair stayed in one piece. piece. (laughs) Of all the people of the earth. Of all the people of the earth. Christians have the most to be grateful for. And we have the greatest motivation to be excited and to shout out, and to, and, to, and to give God glory, right? We have the greatest motive. So what I'm saying is, is I'm just kind of opening the door. So don't hide it, right? You wouldn't hide it. You wouldn't hide it when Gonzaga won. You didn't hide it when, you know, when the Seahawks were rocking and rolling and winning games. And maybe someday the Mariners. Just don't want to get something started that we don't want to get started. You know, I don't want to preempt anything, and I'm not superstitious. But you wouldn't hide it for that, or whatever you're into, you know, whatever makes you uh, uh, really get fired up. You wouldn't hide it for that. Why do we hide it for our faith? It's crazy. It's, a, it's been the question that's like been in my mind all week. Why, why are we not more expressive about the one thing and the one person that matters the most? Do you know what? Because at the end of it, I've read the last chapter, at the end of it, it all fades away. It's all either going to cook or burn or whatever, right? McCarthy Center's not going to be there. Zags won't be a thing. Jesus will be a thing in the end. He will be the only thing. And that's why we should get riled up a little bit. That's why we should get fired up. And it's good to shout it out, and it's good to yell in a good in a, for a good purpose, right? And sometimes we just got to get over that past experience. Right? That's been negative. Because I'm telling you, this is so much more positive. So much more real and meaningful. God's looking for grateful hearts that sing and shout His praises. Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're commanded to, to shout it out. 
Psalm 81, verses 1 and 2. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Rise, raise a song and strike the timbrel, the, what we would call a tambourine today, the pleasant harp with the lute. And we live in a day and an age where shouting is largely done for just uh, sporting events or talk shows. The, but the Bible instructs us to be joyful, vo- joyfully vocal with our praises of thanksgiving. Sometimes we need a Uh, to transition from a loud shouting to singing and bowing down in quiet reverence. Look at Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship. I'm going to pause right now. Psalm 95 starts out with shouting, right, and joyful singing in the first few verses. I didn't have time to put it all in there, but that's how Psalm 95 starts. Then he rolls into verse 6. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Sometimes it's that quiet sense of getting down before the Lord. Getting down on our face, as I mentioned, uh, verses out of Revelation. John records what Jesus showed him about what worship looks like in heaven. In Revelation 5.14, Jesus says in the four, uh, the the, the the picture is that the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Worship takes on a lot of forms. And here, and in, in, in what the picture that John has is, is these guys are like they're in such awe and reverence that it's not, it's not the right time to shout, it's not the right time to be rowdy. They're before the king of the universe. They're standing, they're standing before Christ, and before you know it, they're down flat on their face, bowing down to His glory and His majesty. And sometimes worship looks like this. Sometimes it's dancing. Psalm 149.3, Let them praise Him, praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the timbrel and the harp. What God does in our lives should cause a, a reaction, should cause some sort of uh, excitement. And the expression of that excitement can come out in a variety of forms. God's into variety. Let's not get that wrong. God's into variety. I don't think they're here today, but there's, there's some new folks of the fellowship, and he came up and talked to me and, um, here a few weeks ago, and he says, I, ho- I hope I wasn't a distra- distraction. I said, I don't know if you were or you weren't. I said, but why would you say that? And he said, uh, he's a um, sign language, sign language interpreter. There we go, thank you. And uh, there was a particular worship song that we had done that day. Uh, and and the, the Holy Spirit was moving in his heart. And he, so he started to sign out the song. I'm making just gestures. It doesn't mean nothing when my hands are moving, right? But, he, but that's what the Holy Spirit was doing in his heart. Like he was, he was expressing his gratitude to God in a way that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, hey, I don't think you're being a distraction. You know, somebody tackles you, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Definitely this one lines up. Here's a different type of variety. We can all lift our hands. Psalm 134, and there's lots of references. I'm just going to give you give you a couple here. Psalm 134 two. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands. Uh, <laughs> we have a tendency to lift our hands up for three general categories. One, to ask a question. Two, to answer a question. And three, because the guy behind us has a badge. Right? That's normally... I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Right? Somebody says, get your hands up. Let me just give people a piece of advice for today's society. When somebody behind you says, stop, raise your hands, stop and raise your hands. You can ask the question later. Just do what they say, right? It'll turn out a lot better. Actually, Paul encourages uh, the other reference I have for raising our hands and back to worship. And Quit goofing around here. Paul encourages Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.8, And here's his particular instruction. He instructs Timothy to instruct the men to trade in their wrath and their doubting. 
and to lift holy hands in prayer. He says, trade in. This is a very particular point for men specifically. Because as men, we have a tendency to lift our hands in wrath, in anger, or doubting. Why did this happen to me? And Paul says to Timothy, hey, tell the guys, flush. If, if they want to lift their hands, let's do it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. So flush all of that, right? Flush all of that. If you want them guys to raise their hands, get their hands in the air when we're praying. Get their hands in the air when we're worshiping. Get their hands in the air giving God glory and honor and praise. That's the right reasons. God loves a variety of worship. Notice the variety here of instruments and images that the psalmist records. Back to Psalm 98, 5. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Where the psalmist says, Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with the trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness the world and those who dwell in it. Notice the images that he lays out here. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth and with righteousness he shall judge the world and and the peoples with equity. For far too long the church has kind of fought over uh, and divided over these different uh, situations, locations, style, preference, all of that. I, I really, to be honest with you, I'm not into all that. Like there's been over the years, people kind of drag me into conversations about this, that, that. And, and what I see in the Bible, which is really, I believe is really clear, I see that God's into variety. I think that God's into variety of, of worship for people. And uh, so I just don't, I just particularly just don't engage. Like if somebody wants to just start, you know, hammering away, you know, modern courses, hymns, or this or that or whatever, um, I think they're missing the greater point. Jesus had an opportunity to speak into just such issues. And in true true Jesus fashion, uh, similar to him simplifying the Mosaic law down to loving God and loving other people, Jesus boils worship down to two critical elements. He really says there's, there, there's two filters that, that if it's genuine worship, it'll fit through these filters. It, it'll have these elements. It, it'll come down to these things. And, he, and he, So he's kind of dispelling all of this uh, location and preference and style and, and all of that and he says in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, he's having a conversation with the lady at the well, a Samaritan woman, and there's a lot to be said. We won't get too much into that, but it was a conversation. Let's just put it this, we'll just frame it this way. It was a conversation that would just never happen in the first century uh, between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. Absolutely taboo, would never happen. Uh, the Jews avoided the Samaritans uh, at every possible opportunity, they saw them as a, as as a you know half breed uh, type of a, a people. Uh, they they despised him because they claimed to know God and 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 claimed to worship him on Mount Gerizim and all all that goes with all of that. You can read about it. it's all there in John chapter four. But he's having this conversation, and he conversation is turning a corner. And the woman says to Jesus, she says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's kind of of identifying, you know, like, you know, the difference between the modern modern chorus guys and the the old hymn guys. You know, she's identifying this division. And Jesus' response is to basically say, hey, it ain't about that. Verse 21, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
your worship, <clears throat> you worship what you do not know. We worship what, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And here's the key part that we want to get to. But the hour is coming and now is where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the first takeaway there is, is that simply this. The Father is looking. Your heavenly Father is looking for your worship. He's looking for my worship. He, he wants to know. He wants to know. It's not that He doesn't know your heart. He does know your heart. He wants to know if your heart is going to express something to Him. Is this true? Is this real? Is what you say true and real? Does it move the needle in your life? He's looking for worshipers. And He's looking for true worshipers. And spirit matters. To worship in spirit means that you're concerned with spiritual realities. Not so much with the places or the outward sacrifices, the, you know, in Jesus' day, the cleansings, all the trappings that go with the, with the you know, having it perfect. That's what he's getting at. Like, nobody's more distracted this morning that I drop my drumsticks than I am. Bill's like, Tried to tell you. All right, we have a little thing going about my drum. I drop my drumsticks all the time. Right? But nobody, I'll, I'll guarantee you, nobody was more, uh, had that on their mind more than I did, other than Bill. But the reality is, is that those, even that can be like an, that can be like an outward trapping. Oh, it's not perfect. I missed a note. You know, or sang a little pitchy, or whatever the case is. Those are all of those outward trappings that, that God's less concerned about everything being perfect. He's way more concerned about, are you worshiping Him in spirit? Are you focused on Him? Right? Are you giving Him glory? Are you lifting Him up? Are you praising Him? That's what he's worried about. That's what actually, he's not worried about. It. That's what he's looking for. And truth matters as well. In spirit and in truth. Truth matters. To worship in truth means that you worship according to the whole counsel of God's word, especially in light of the New Testament revelation is. It means that you come to God in truth, not in pretense or in a mere display of spirituality. And that's where we have the decay in culture. Because there's lots of... Our culture is rife with pretense and display. It's, 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 it's becoming okay. And maybe it is already all okay in our culture to just put on pretense, which means fake. It's fake. And it's all for show. That's what our culture is melting down. That's why our culture is eroding out the bottom, really, uh, uh, in, in struggle because there's, no, there's, there, there's nothing that holds it together that's objective truth because our culture has denied God our culture has, has uh, uh, said that God doesn't matter you know he doesn't matter in the schools and there's no place for him in politics our culture would say there's no place for that's all for something to you guys that, believe, that call yourself believe. that's all for you guys to keep to yourselves just, just keep it to yourselves for a small Sunday morning gathering. Oh, by the way, the last couple years, you can't really do that either, right? Because somebody might get, you know, a whatever. So the, it, so the pretense, the display is, is they're saying that they care more about you than God cares about you. That's the pretense and display. And it's a ruse. And it's fake. How do we then thrive? Really two words of encouragement. We worship. We worship the Lord. As I said the first day that we came back, we never should have shut these doors. I sought your guys' forgiveness. I, you know, we did as a leadership team. We're not going to close again. 
Because, you, because coming together as a family like we are today, and like we have now for, you know, ever since, I don't remember, two, what, was that a year and a half ago? I don't know. Seems like a you know, hundred years ago. But this is what we're called to do. And we can't not do that. So we're here, and we're worshiping, and we keep worshiping. And this coming Saturday, we take it to the park, as we've done already twice. Because there's something that happens when God's people gather, not just in four walls, but gather out in the open, like they did in the first century, and proclaim His, his name, and lift praises up to God. And people are walking by, it's like, oh, what's, what, what's going on? Right? We worship. How do we thrive? We worship. If we don't worship, we die. The words of, wise words of Mordecai in Esther 4. He says this to Esther, he says in verse 14, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. So God's got a plan, he says. But he goes on to say, but you and your father's house will perish. Then the famous words that he lays out next, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. <laughs> Mordecai tells Esther, hey, you, you can be quiet if you want to be quiet. You know, and God's going to do something anyway. And I'm here to tell us, you can be quiet, worshipers or singers, if you want to be quiet or worship singers. God's going to do something anyway. Like I'm saying, let's just all jump on the crazy train and see where it goes. That's what I'm saying. Right? Let's be, let's be joyfully vocal about lifting God's praises up. Let's be excited about what God has done in our lives. Uh, you know who gets to share their testimony the most? People that, that demonstrate publicly that they're excited about what God's doing. Because all of a sudden you have somebody come up and say, so tell me again, you know, or, or why are you, you know, this way? Wh- wh- you know, what's going on in your life? Like, I knew you 20 years ago. You weren't that guy. You're not that guy now. You're not that lady now. Right? Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm saying that God has brought us together in these times to be his worshipers. Amen? Amen. David, will you come on up? David's going to lead us in communion and then we'll have a closing worship song. You know, while Mark was talking, I was thinking, what better way is there to express our gratitude to our Savior?